Let's all stand and do the benediction. It's time to go home. I just, I didn't want to get up. She's, she already preached the message. <laughs> wow. God is in this place. Amen. God is here. Oh, our God is good. Let's give the Lord some praise for those healings and breakthroughs we saw. Nahum 1 7 says, The Lord is good. He is a refuge in the day of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. The Lord is good. If you're wondering why the pulpit is over here today, it's because there's some things on the screen throughout that I'm going to want you to follow along with. We just finished our Core Values, the Remix series, and, and uh, we had a, an amazing retreat uh, at the beginning of this month. And we, we believe that we are at a pivotal moment in the history of this particular campus. That we are in a pivotal moment, not just in the history of this campus, but in the history of Itaewon and Seoul as a city. And so if you're here today, I want to say welcome. God has brought you here to be a part of something much larger than yourself. And that's what so many people are longing for. That's what we all are longing for at the end of the day is not for our own kingdom, but to be a part of something that's going to be larger than ourselves. And so I want to welcome you here. I want everyone to turn in your Bibles. If you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 10. I have a special word for us today. This word, it was, it was bringing conviction for me as I was preparing it. As I was preparing it, I found myself saying, ooh, that's me. Oh, snap. Oh, that's me. I need to work on that. And it had me on my face in prayer before God because I realized that, man, I don't want to preach something that, that God isn't doing in me first. Now, some of you, you may be completely new to Christianity, completely new to being in the house of God. And so I don't want you to feel odd or feel like you're not welcome. So if you don't have a Bible with you, you can always look, up, look alongside the person next to you. I promise they won't bite you. They are friendly. Even right now, just turn to the person next to you. Introduce yourself. Say hi. My name is, you know, and say your name. Just introduce yourself. Say hello. Bless one another. You know, some of you, some of you may have come in and you thought that you thought that you were just going to sneak in and sit by yourself and then leave without anybody seeing you. You just got noticed. And now someone knows your name. Gotcha. Yeah, you're not going to get out of here without us knowing who you are. <laughs> some of you are like, now it's creepy. Uh, people say I'm awkward. Uh, I love it. Mark chapter 10, I got a special word for us today. It's a word for our generation. It's a word for us. Mark 10, we're going to read from verses 17 to 31. It's a famous story in the life of Jesus. You know, Jesus was a real person. Most historians, whether secular or not, do not doubt the fact that Jesus walked on the earth. He was a real human being, flesh and blood. And we're going to look at an event from his life, Mark 10, 17 to 31. I'm going to read it, and I want you guys to just read along with me. I'm going to read it 
just look along with your eyes. And as he was setting out on his journey, he's talking about Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. (laughs) Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I want you to look along with the person next to you. Read, Read it together. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's impossible. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Bow your heads. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is life. Your word gives life. It brings light and it reveals the hearts and thoughts and intentions of man. We thank you for your word that it's not just simply principles for us to obey, but it is an accurate historical account. Jesus, we thank you that you are alive today and that you long to speak to us and to change us and to call us unto yourself. So I pray for every person here in this place where they encounter your love today. A love that tells the truth, a love that can transform, a love that heals, a love that sets free. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see here in Mark 10, the story of this man who runs up to Jesus. And in in this, actually, this story is found in three of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're known as the synoptic gospels, meaning that they were all written around the same time. They all have very similar stories and very and some similar purposes in the way that they were written. And this story, it's you could see in your Bible, if you have a Bible with the heading, it says the rich young ruler, right? If you're looking, just looking on the shoulder of the person next to you if you don't have a Bible. I want everyone to see it. I want you to look with your own eyes. That's why I said I want you to read it and look because... Some of you, you may have never read a Bible before until just now. The rich young ruler, right? And its story is in three of the Gospels. Now, here it just says a man comes up to Jesus. But in Luke, 
18, where it's also written, it says that a ruler came up to Jesus. A ruler approaches Jesus. And the word for ruler here is the same word for prince. Everyone say prince. prince. Now, when I say prince, I'm not talking about the light-skinned guitarist who wore tight clothing back in the day in some purple rain. I mean, you know that song? I'm not going to sing it here, but you know. The word here means prince, and it meant that he was a young, wealthy magistrate in the area. Now, check it out. This guy approaches Jesus, and he is wealthy. Hey, he's wealthy. Somebody say he's wealthy. He's He's young. young. You don't have to keep repeating, but okay. (laughs) You know, that's, that's fine. And he's got influence. He's wealthy. He's young. And he's got influence. How many of us want all three? Oh, some of y'all are too holy. Oh, no, not me. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You know it. From Monday to Saturday, you're looking for wealth, youth, and influence. And now today you want to act like you don't want none. He walks up and he is wealthy, young, and he has influence. How many of you guys know that this is what the world wants? Everyone in the world, they're looking for wealth. You know, I'm from North Carolina, um, so I'm from America. And in America, because <laughs> some people may not know where North Carolina is. I meet people all the time, especially Koreans on the street, and they're like, where are you from? And I say, North Carolina. And they're like, what? <laughs> Michael Jordan. Oh, North Carolina. He went to North Carolina. Okay, some of you learned something today. (laughs) In America, there was this thing called the Occupy Movement, right, where you had people protesting the 1%, saying 1% of the people control 99% of the wealth, and we are that 99%. We don't have nothing. But in the West, most of us, we live off of more money than anyone else in the rest of the world. Most of you sitting in this room, you don't realize it, but you are considered wealthy. We are wealthy. Most The impoverished areas of the world, they live on like $2 a day. Each and on a day. You spend each and on on a Snickers bar. Okay, a Snickers and a Twix. <laughs> He's wealthy. So many people, that's what they're yearning for. How many of you guys thought, if I just had more money, my life would be better? If when I went to the bank and I checked my account, if I had more wands in there, I would be a much happier person. Things would go well with me. I'd be able to pay my bills, my telephone bills, my automobiles, (laughs) all my bills. (laughs) We want wealth, right? The world is seeking wealth. Also, the world is seeking youth. Everyone's looking for the fountain of youth. Everyone wants to get younger. I remember two years ago on my birthday, and this would only happen in Korea. I remember that I happened to tell one of my friends that I washed my face with Dove soap. Uh, I just heard some of you judge me right now. Oh, no. (laughs) And all my friends, they judged me. They said, what are you doing? You're going to get wrinkles. And I'm like, I can't stop it. And then I go, and on my birthday, one of, my, one of the brothers, one, uh, one of the brothers, one of my friends, we're walking in Gangnam, 
And he's like, hey, I need to buy, I want to buy your birthday gift right now. And I'm like, wow, there's so much mystery in this. <laughs> Just come with me. And he walks into this store called uh, Aritam. Uh, it's like, uh, I, okay, I pronounced it wrong, whatever. It means beautiful. And it's this, it's this beauty supply store. And he walks through, and I stopped at the door. And I was like, I ain't going in. You, me, walk in together? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to stand right here. I, I, I literally stood right at the door. And, like, the Korean girls that kept walking by, they were so confused because, like, they walk by, and they're like, oh, and then they walk on by, and then they come back, and I'm still standing there. And they kept getting confused. Like, they kept greeting me. I'm like, listen, I'm not coming in. And then he comes back out with this box of facial products. And he's like, you use this to wash your face. Then after you wash your face, you've got to use this toner. I was like, what is the toner thing? What do I need that for? And then after that, you need to put this cream on here. And you can't use all your fingers. You only got to use two fingers. I'm like, this is too complicated. Give me some Vaseline. Give me something. <laughs> Give me some lotion. And I can just. I'm so confused. And he's like, no, no, you got to do it. And then this right here, this is the eye cream. And he's like, it's so awesome. You put it on your eyes and all of a sudden you feel your eyes go. Like it, it, the, the products cause like this vacuuming sensation on your eyes. I was like, I don't want that. Does that sound good at all? But we're all looking, we're all trying to look younger. And in America, I'll give you some statistics. I did my research for this one. In America, plastic surgery, everyone's trying to look younger. In America in 2012, over 10 million cosmetic surgery procedures were done. 10 million. In Korea, Korea leads the world in plastic surgery. Let's put up this slide. Korea ranks number one in plastic surgery procedures per person in the world. Okay, here are the nations. Here is Korea. And Korea gets everything done. It it ranks about for 16 procedures per 1,000 people. That's a lot, actually. That's a lot. Uh, keep, keep going. I don't know if I read that correctly, but in 2011, now there's this phenomenon in, in Korea nowadays. It's called, it's called medical tourism, which means that people travel to Korea to get work done. And it's happening in America. It's happening all over where people are traveling to specific countries to get plastic surgery done, to get medical care done, to get all these different things done because we want to look younger. We want to we have youth. The number of medical tourists in Korea in 2011 was over 100,000 people. Like, why are you coming to Korea? Are you coming for the kimchi? No. I'm coming for the surgery. I'm coming to change my appearance so I can look younger, look better. Now, some of you are like, you know what? I've never had plastic surgery. I don't do that. You know, you can bring down this slide. Some of you are like, I never, I've never had plastic surgery. I've never done that. Well, there's also, you know, for you health nuts, there's like the, the health and nutrition aspect, right? Well, I don't go get, I don't go get certain things done, but I'll, I'll eat 
you know, my roommate, he's a big health and nutrition guy. Like he, I came, I came into the house one day and he was roasting beans on the, uh, on the pan. And I was like, what is that? I've never seen, are you like cooking rocks? What is that? And he's like, oh, these are beans. You know, I'm, I'm cooking beans right now. And I was like, why are you cooking beans? Like I, I go get beans from the store. I don't cook them right there. Like, and he eats like seeds and all this stuff. And some of you are looking at me like, well, you should too. <laughs> I'll look, show you some statistics on health and nutrition. I looked this up. The health and nutrition industry worldwide has become a booming industry. Uh, this is just in America, I believe. No, no, no. This is, I think, worldwide. Uh, in 2001, it, it was $56 billion. In 2011, in 10 years, $126 billion. That's how much money this industry b- brings in. Why? Because everyone's looking to get surgery, and then they're, they're, pro- they're projecting that in 10 more years, it will just double even more. I mean, everywhere you go, everything you see, you can bring this slide down, is that it's all about, you know, I got to eat right, I got to look right, I got to do this, this, and this, because I want to look younger. So we got the wealth, we got the health, and then the influence. You know, all over the world today, more people, you know, the way that we talk about getting influence nowadays is by going to college, right? Or getting more education. Education is the way in which you get more influence. I need to go to grad school. I need to go get my PhD. I need to go this. More people nowadays are going to school than, than any other time in human history. We have more educated people than ever before. Why? Because everyone is wanting more influence. And the way to get it is college. So like in America right now, what we, what we see is happening is that you've got a ton of people with bachelor degrees. And so because everyone has their degree, your degree means nothing. And so everyone's like, okay, I got to spend more money, go to grad school, get my master's. But now everyone's got their master's. Everyone's got their master's. So now, but then there's only a few that are really committed and they'll go get the Ph.D. And that is the trend because everyone's wanting to be wealthy, young, and have influence. If I get my degrees, if I get all these credentials, then I'm going to have influence. Then I'll be able to change something. But this man we see in Mark 10, he has it all, right? He's the rich, young ruler. It's interesting. This rich, young ruler, he has everything, but he runs to Jesus and he kneels before him as soon as he sees him. See, this should tell us something. In the scripture, it says, it says that a man ran to Jesus and knelt before him. The fact that this man ran and knelt before Jesus should point us to the fact that even though he had everything, he didn't have the something he really needed. Even though he was wealthy, young, and had influence, the moment he saw Jesus, something inside of him said, I need what he has. What I have is not enough. I got to run to him. And he kneels before him. Let's continue in the passage. He kneels before him and he speaks to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you would think in that moment, Jesus would answer him. But Jesus says something very peculiar. He says, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. And when I read when I read this passage before, 
I really researched it, I always get kind of confused. Like, Jesus, you are good. You are God. You are sinless. You never, you are perfectly good. Why did you say that? He said it because this rich young ruler was coming up to him with his, you know, he was trying to suck up to him. He was, how many, you guys know the term teacher's pet? How many of you guys know of a teacher's pet growing up? You know, I was the biggest teacher's pet. And this guy, he goes up to Jesus, he's like, hey, good teacher. Because he's thinking, if I just say the right thing before Jesus, Jesus is going to tell me what I need to do. He's going to give me favor. But Jesus says, hold up, hold up. Why, why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. Really what he's saying is, listen, your, your sucking up to me is not going to get you very far. See, many of us, we, what we think is favor is actually manipulation. This guy comes up to Jesus and is trying to suck up to him, thinking he's going to get favor. But Jesus says, hold on, homie, don't play that. I don't do, I don't roll that kind of way. That is not how I act. And so he speaks to him and he's like, Jesus is like, I'm not going to, I'm going to look past your manipulation. I'm going to look past you just trying to give me good words to get me to do good things. And I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. So he speaks to him. Verse 19, let's look. He says, what must I do? And he says, why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. But then he speaks to him about the commandments. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now, I don't know about you, but how many commandments are there? There's 10, right? How many commandments does he list? Just look, count. Do not commit adultery. One. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. It's kind of five plus one. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. I mean, there are ten commandments, but I only count six. Why does Jesus tell him that to inherit eternal life? He all of a sudden starts listing not even all of the commandments. Did Jesus not know his own word? Did Jesus not know what was going on? Let's look, Exodus 20. I'm just going to read verses 3 onward. Exodus 20. He says, well, verse 2, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers to the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love of thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day, right? Let's keep going down. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, your, ma your male servant, his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that's your neighbor's. So if we, we compare lists here. Jesus is actually only listing five. And he misses a few. So he, he speaks to some, but he doesn't speak to others. But which ones does he talk about? He talks about the ones that are really practical. You notice? 
Honor your father and mother. I can do that. Don't murder. I ain't murdered nobody. Don't commit adultery. I ain't slept around. Don't steal. All this stuff is mine. <laughs> Don't lie. I ain't lied. I never lied. See, and the man, he replies to me, all these things I've kept since my youth. But see, Jesus, he wasn't pointing him to the things that he had done. He was pointing him to the things that Jesus didn't say. Sometimes it's not about what God says. It's what he didn't say. And if you notice that Jesus didn't talk about certain ones. He talked about all the practical aspects of loving your neighbor, but then he leaves out the aspects of worshiping God. Why does he do that? Because that is the central issue. But the man doesn't get it. So he replies. He says, hey, Jesus, I'm good. All these things I've done since I was young. Isn't this the mindset of most of us? I'm a good person. I've never killed anybody. I've never stolen. I haven't committed adultery. I honor my mom and my pops. I love them. I'm a good guy. But he's leaving out something. And the man doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. And so, verse 21, it says, Jesus looks at him. I mean, you imagine, Jesus is standing here, and he's hoping, I hope you get what I'm doing right now. I'm leaving out certain ones, hoping you ask yourself, Hmm, why did he not talk about worship? Why did he not talk about idolatry? Why did he not talk about the Sabbath? I'm a rich young ruler. I'm a workaholic guy who has everything. But he didn't talk about any of those things. But the man doesn't say that. He says, no, no, I'm, I'm good. But it says Jesus looked at him. Verse 21, Jesus looking at him, loved him. See, Jesus looked at him, and he, he loved him so much, he said, I'm not going to beat around the bush with you. I'm going to cut to the chase. He looked at him, and he loved him, and he said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Now, Jesus says you lack one thing, but he did not talk about five things. Why? Because those five things could be summed up in one thing. See, the problem with this guy was not that he wasn't a good guy. He honored his parents. He honored all these things. The issue was not his actions. The issue was his heart. And so Jesus loved him. So he said, I'm going to put my finger on the exact issue that's going to keep you from eternal life. The one thing that you're missing, and it's your stuff. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have eternal life. Because Jesus is pointing to the worship of his stuff. Everything that Jesus left out could be summed up in one thing. He had the wrong object of worship. Something else was his God. And so Jesus loved him, so he told him to give up something. And it wasn't about the poor. Some people read this and they say, well, Jesus is talking about go out and do some philanthropy. Obviously, you need to sell everything and do philanthropy. But the issue was not the poor. The issue was his possessions. Verse 22. The man hears this and it says he was disheartened. It said he was sad. Oh, everyone say, oh. 
I mean, some of you right now, even hearing this word, you're thinking, oh. Every time I read that passage about selling everything, I was like, oh. Disheartened by the saying, he walked away sorrowful. Jesus shared with him the good news, and he was sad. You know you're in idolatry when you hear the gospel, and it makes you sad and not happy. Jesus shared with him the path to eternal life, and it made him sad. Why? Because he had great possessions. You know, that word literally means, I looked it up, great means many. Possessions means things that he has bought. It means he walked away sad because he had a lot of stuff that he had bought. And he didn't want to give it up. His stuff was his God. If you're wondering what the title of this message is, it's Stop Worshiping Your Stuff. See, materialism is the real issue of our generation. See, this man walked away because he could not give up his stuff, his stuff that was in the place of God. And he didn't know that he was idolatrous until God lovingly showed it up. That's why I said Jesus, he looked at him and loved him. See, Jesus loves you today. That's why this word's going out. Some of you think, no, Jesus hates me. He's mad at me. He's trying to take everything from me. No, he loves you. That's why this word's going out. Let's keep reading. Verse 23. This man walks away. He's he's just like, man, this sucks. I got to give up on my, I love my stuff. I ain't giving up my Xbox. And Jesus looked around to his disciples and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth. The word there, riches, means many possessions. It doesn't just mean currency, it means possessions. How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. It doesn't say that that often in the Bible, that the disciples were amazed. The disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I like the NKJV here in verse in verse 24. It says, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches, who trust in their possessions to enter the kingdom of God. Because see the issue is not your possessions. The issue is your trust. The issue isn't your possessions even. The issue is your worship of them. And you know why these guys were amazed? I mean Jesus said this and they were like. Oh snap. Oh my goodness. I can't believe you said that. They were like shocked. They're looking at each other like Peter. You hear what he said? Hey Paul you hear that? Well Paul wasn't there. But you know. <laughs> he's like yo James. You know what he just said right there? Matthew, oh my goodness, write that down. (laughs) You know why they were amazed? You can just put that down. You know why they were amazed? They were amazed. You got to hear this word today. They were amazed because they had never heard a sermon about materialism. They were amazed because they were okay with Jesus talking about everything else but their stuff. Jesus, preach against sin. Yes. Talk about sex. Yes, God. Preach against death. Preach against adultery. Preach against disrespecting your mother and father. But oh, my stuff. Don't talk about my stuff. I love my stuff. They were amazed. They said at the end of that, they were greatly astonished. 
that Jesus would say that. Why? Because, hey, I love sermons against all these other things, but you're going to talk about my stuff now. Hold on. Hold on now, Jesus. This is my stuff. See, we find that Jesus speaks against us loving our stuff and our worship of our stuff and our possessions frequently throughout the Bible. Why? Because this is an issue of worship. And before I get there, some of you are going to think, well, the Bible talks about money. What about my money? I don't worship money. It's not like I'm sitting there counting my bills. It's not like I'm counting my coins. But my stuff, I want you to know from in the ancient understanding of money, it involved two aspects. It involved your currency, and it also involved what that currency would buy. So in the Bible, whenever you read money and whenever you talk about wealth, it's not simply talking about the money in your pocket. It's talking about what that money buys. So I'm going to read some scripture. We're going we're gonna to scroll with you, scroll together. Turn to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 19 to 24. I'm going to read this out. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, Jesus starts talking about something different here. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So many people have taken that passage and said, well, Jesus is talking about something completely different here. But the context is money. The context is your possessions. He's not just talking about what you already own. He's talking about what you look at in window shop. Wanting. Where do your eyes go? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Turn to Matthew 13. Let's flip over a couple pages. Matthew 13, 22 to 23. This is good news today. This is good news. Matthew 13, 22 to 23. This is the parable of the sower. Jesus has explained a parable to the people about a man who goes out, a farmer who goes out and scatters seed. And some seed falls on soil that it gets snatched up immediately by the devil. Some some seeds go on rocky soil, which means they receive the word that Sunday with joy. And so they're like, man, that's an awesome word. But because there's no root in them, because they don't spend any time in that word, it just shrivels up. And then he talks about where the seed goes and it's thrown on soil with thorns. And Jesus explains it here. Verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. This word riches is the same word Jesus uses in Mark 10. 
The deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what's sown on good soil, it's the one who hears the word and understands it. He bears fruit and yields a hundredfold, and another sixty, and another thirty. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. See, why does he say the deceitfulness of it? Because material possessions tell you one thing, but it cannot give it to you. It tells you that if you buy this, you're going to be that much better. If you get this, you're going to look different. If you have all these things, then people are going to treat you different and treat you better. And it's deception. It's deception. First John 2, 15 through 17. Turn there. First John's towards the end of the New Testament. We're getting in the word today because I want you to recognize that this isn't just coming from me. This isn't Pastor Marcus giving you something. This is coming from the word of God. First John two fifteen through 17. It says. This is John writing. He says, do not love the world. Or the things in the world. He makes a distinction. Do not love the world. I don't love the world or the things in the world. Oh, snap. (laughs) You got me there? For if anyone loves the world, he, he puts those things together in this next sentence. The love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes. Jesus talked about eyes earlier, didn't he? The verse, he, one of the commandments he left out earlier was what? Covetousness. That's all about your eyes. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, the boasting of what he has and does, other translations say, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The Bible warns about this. Turn to Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 3 to 18. And this is Jesus speaking, and he's indicting the church of Laodicea. Now, this is a church he calls lukewarm in their faith. If you've ever wondered why you are lukewarm in your faith, the issue is right here, materialism. It's your worshiping your stuff. And I want to say really quickly, some of you may say, I don't have a lot of stuff. So this doesn't apply to me. But the thing is, whether you possess a lot or you don't, if you're coveting it or you're worshiping what you already possess, it's the same thing. We're all in this pot together. Revelation 3, 15 to 18. Jesus says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And here's how you know the issue was materialism. Because what Jesus says next, I counsel you to buy from me. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and He's not just talking about currency. He's talking about clothes. 
white garments so that you may clothe yourself. In Matthew 6, when we read on, Jesus says, isn't, isn't the body more, isn't, the body, isn't, it more than, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Then why do you covet after food? Why do you covet after clothes? I want to give you some statistics on materialism and buying in, uh, in the world. The retail industry. Uh, no, don't put that up yet. I didn't ask for that, but thank you. Uh, the retail industry is a $4.7 trillion industry. This is the retail industry. This is, means people going out and buying and selling. $4.7 trillion industry. It brings in more money than the gross domestic product of every country but China, the U.S., and Japan. That's how much money people are spending on stuff. And all of this is fueled by the advertising industry. All of it. All of it's fueled. Hollywood, the movies, the movies you watch, the music you listen to, the things that you see. I challenge you today after, after the service to try to go home without looking at an advertisement. It will be impossible. I'll just tell you right now. I know with God, all things are possible. You will need God's help. You're just going to be like looking at your hand the whole time, just walking into stuff. The advertising industry, at least in America, I looked it up, is a $290 billion industry. To put this into perspective, you guys heard of the Iraq war, right? Uh, the Iraq war cost America $100 billion. So the advertising industry spends enough money, it would be as if America went to three Iraq wars at the same time. That's a lot of money. Now, this is just talking about America. Extend it to the whole world. Korea? Come on. Everything you see, hear, and encounter in the world is primarily based on getting you to spend more money and buy more stuff. Everything is crying out to you. You need this. You need that. You don't have enough of this. Oh, you really like that? You should get that. Everything is crying out. That's why Jesus spoke to him and said, one thing you lack, because he knew that man was materialistic, which meant his primary grid of thinking was according to lack. And that's how the world works. That's how advertising works. Every ad on the internet, every ad in movies, all these other industries propped up by the advertising industry, all telling you to buy more stuff, you need more stuff, get more stuff, because that's what's going to satisfy you. That's what's going to make you happy. I did some research, and I found this one advertising uh, industry. They were trying to figure out, they, they put up some stuff in terms of like how they wanted the direction of the advertising company to go. And here, put it up. Now, this signifies your life. And at the middle of your life should be God. But what they want to happen is at the center of your life, not to be God, but to be the brand. Now, before you start hating on the advertising industry, I want you to think about it and wonder if whether or not that's the way you're living. We've grown up being subject to massive advertisements day after day after day after day, telling us we lack, we need, we need, we need. 
And, and they're okay with you having spiritual leaders, friends, family, all these things. But ultimately, all these things circle around stuff, which means the stuff is your God. I did an exercise with our leaders at the leadership retreat, and we drew this exact <laughs> diagram talking about boundaries. Yeah. And I talked about at the center of your life should not be you, it should be God. Social media helps to perpetuate this. Because now, not only are we constantly coveting and looking for certain brands to follow and put at the center of our life, but we are our own brand. So we put up things hoping that someone will give us some likes. We put up Instagram photos because, you know, Advertising industry doesn't have to do the advertising anymore. We do it for them. I didn't realize this until after I looked through my own Instagram and saw the pictures of my clothes and my shoes and all these different things that I was putting up hoping that someone would like. On Facebook, like, that's not I like it. It's not, it's an act of worship. You got to start seeing your life theologically. Start understanding what's going on. And all of this affects your relationship with God. Don't think for a moment that it's not connected to your relationship with God. All of it is connected. All of this affects our spirituality. I'm going to read a quote for you from Christian Smith. He's a sociologist from Notre Dame, University of Notre Dame. He's well-respected in both secular and religious arenas. And he specifically looks up and, and he does... He does research about the spiritual lives of Americans. I'm going to read this quote. He's talking about capitalism. In this book, it's called Soul Searching. It's talking about this particular book is about the faith of most teenagers. And he, he talks about one of the chief problems is materialism slash capitalism. Now, I'm not a communist, so don't start thinking I'm crazy. But I need you to understand what's going on. Capitalism as a system must ever grow or it will die. The intrinsic problem in capitalism, you can substitute that with materialism. Capitalism's logic, however, is that actual human needs are somewhat limited and modest. It only takes so many goods and services to sustain a healthy, potentially satisfying human life. You do not need that many pairs of shoes. You don't need that many coats. <laughs> you don't need that much stuff. For keep reading, mass consumer capitalism to for, for mass consumer capitalism to forever grow, therefore, it must constitute masses of people as consumer selves, everyone please pay attention, who misrecognizes new wants as essential needs. Wow. You find yourself saying, I want that. I need that. You don't need it. <laughs> and whose basic sense of necessity always expands. What is evident about the advertising industry in particular, their efforts when it targets youth, and you can answer any age here, is that to accomplish its goals, it often appeals to what has always and pervasively been understood to be some of the worst of human potentials, insecurity, 
envy, vanity, impulsiveness, pride, surface images and appearances, the sexual objectification of others, emotional impulses, habitually trumping rational thoughts. I felt like I had to do it. I feel like I have to do it. That's emotional impulses trumping rational thought. Jesus said to love him with all your mind. Short-term gratification and so on. He asked an interesting question here. How many successful youth or any age ad campaigns appeal to contentment, self-control, humility, rationality, inner character, <laughs> selflessness, or any other traditional virtue? When's the last time you've seen an ad that told you you're, you're good with exactly what you have? <laughs> like some guy walking by and he's just thumbs up, you're good. <laughs> you don't need anything else. Don't walk into this store. You're good. How many do you see rationality, humility, inner character, selflessness? No, playing to the darker side of human nature seems to be, for whatever reason, often easier and more successful in selling products than appealing to humanity's brighter side. It's all set up to put stuff as your God and not God. I'm trying to give you some discernment right now. And all of this has helped to create what is commonly called consumer Christianity. See, here's what consumer Christianity says. It says, church is just another place for me to receive. God, you have to compete with the world for my attention and my affection. I'm only here if you can keep my attention. Give me therapy and make me feel better about myself and my place in the world. That's consumer Christianity. If I don't feel better about me, if I don't feel better about my place in the world, then I'm out. If I can't get my therapeutic needs met here in this house, I'm out. It's consumer Christianity. It puts a primacy on feelings rather than truth. So because I didn't feel anything, I'm not sure anything happened. Why? Because we expect God to relate to us in the same way that an advertisement does. See, when you see an advertisement, it makes you feel something. And so we think that God has to relate to us in the same way or we're out or it's not real. But there's a deeper level than your emotions and experience, and it's called truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Consumer Christianity is, is just... It's tied up with also new age spirituality because now you can pick and choose the God that you believe in on a particular day. I'm cool with all the gods, not realizing that every single one of those ways of faith are completely contradictory to another. You cannot believe in them all. If you say you believe in them all, you don't know anything about any of them. Hear me. It's all about the worship of self, ultimately. See, before you get mad at the brands, ultimately, it's self-worship. Materialism lends itself to consumer Christians because when you worship yourself, you're not loving God, you're loving you. So I got to treat me. I got to take care of me. I'm going to, me, I'm at the center of it. And God, you are there to just support me. That's not what we find in the Bible. Ultimately, as Romans 1 says, it's exchanging the truth of God for a lie. 
and worshiping created things rather than the creator God. And it says in the Bible that the wrath of God is towards those who worship creator things rather created things rather than the creator God. I need some of you to hear me right now. You think that you can just come into the house of God and it just be okay and be a consumer Christian, but you worship created things more than God. And God says that the wrath of God is headed towards your life. You're not really a Christian. It's not some cultural, social thing. There will come a day where many people will come before God and be very surprised. You can attend church and not be a Christian. You can pray and not be a Christian. It is about a relationship with Jesus. It is about repentance and renouncing the ways of the world. Materialism is idolatry. Let's keep going then. Verse 26. It says they were exceedingly astonished. They were amazed. And they said, then who can be saved? They looked and they said, we're all guilty. Who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and he said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. You need to understand that it is absolutely impossible for you to get over materialism on your own. So I'm not going to give you some 10 steps to getting over materialism because it's impossible by, by your own effort. It's only possible with God. It's only possible with Jesus. So Peter speaks to him and he says, see, we've left everything and followed you. He's like, Jesus, can't you tell? We're, we're the right ones. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or lands for my sake and for what the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now. And this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children's and lands with persecutions in the age to come eternal life. See, what I want you to get from this is the issue is worship, not stuff. The, the chief issue is worship. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, you got to give it up. You got to stop worshiping it. You got to stop putting it at the center of your life. You got to stop using materialism to satisfy your needs. He says, give it up. But he says, all who give it up, I will provide. See, the issue is worship and the issue is trust. All who give it up, I will provide. And I will provide a hundredfold now and in the age to come, eternal life. It's worship. What's at the center? Even in Matthew 6, Jesus continues on and he talks about how the issues worship. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not the life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He's saying it's not about your work. Are you not of more value than they? Let me skip down. Verse 30. God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, 
O you of little faith. (laughs) Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Philippians 4, 11, Philippians 4, 19, it says, Paul writes, he says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. See, there's a difference when you experience the riches of God and the riches of this world. One gives contentment, security, and peace. The other one just feeds itself in materialism. And see what, it's not that Jesus doesn't want you to have riches, actually. It's that he wants you to have true riches. He wants you to have those things that will, he wants you to not just prosper as you live today, but he wants you to have and possess those things that will not rot or fade away. But the key is that you got to give it up. You got to give up that hold on these worldly things. And I'll tell you why, because with God, the, the way he looks at material possessions is not is a matter. It's not a matter of ownership. It's a matter of stewardship. And when I say stewardship, what I mean is that he says he who is faithful with little, he will entrust with much. And God will not let you hold. What you are not willing to let go. In James 5, it talks about, James warns the rich people and he tells them, listen, all the rich things that you have, you can't take it with you. It will burn. He's telling that to them because he's wanting them to let let go and trust God. No, God wants to bless you, but he won't let you hold something that he knows is going to ultimately become an idol. He won't let you hold something that you're not willing to let go. God, he is, he's our provider. He's our provider. Deuteronomy, it says that the Lord is the one who gives the ability to produce wealth. You thought it was your ability. It's not your ability. I love you to tell you you're not that smart and that talented. It, he gives you the ability to produce wealth. Some of you are offended because it's pride and because you think that you're the center of the world. And I'll tell you, there's a day coming where you're going to know you're not. The Lord, he provides. In fact, one of his names, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. And we see this actually in Genesis where this name all started. Last week, I talked about it at the end of my message as well, and I'll talk about it right now. This man, Abraham, he received the biggest promise that any human being could have possibly received, that through him, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And God also spoke to him and put such a blessing over his life that he made him wealthy. Him and his his nephew, they couldn't even be in the same place because they had so much possessions. Why would God do that? Well, we see it later on. He gives him this promise that he's going to make his descendants as numerous as the the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky. And Abraham tries to make it happen himself. So he sleeps with his servant, Hagar, and he has Ishmael. 
and he brings Ishmael before God and says, God, why don't you just bless Ishmael? Because a lot of times we'll do things by our own power. See, this is the mindset of materialism. I'm going to buy this, and then, God, I want you to bless it. So he brings it before God. God, won't you bless it? But God says, I will not bless what you have tried to do through your own power. Abraham, it's got to happen through me. And so he sends Abraham back to Sarah. Sarah's waiting. And years later, a miracle happens. Sarah gets pregnant. Can you imagine? They are in, they are well with age. They're in their 90s, 100s. They are old. They have not used the eye cream. They have not used <laughs> half the stuff that we think is going to give us youth. They are walking around old. And they're looking at each other thinking, promises of God. All right. Sarah gets pregnant and has this baby, Isaac. This blessing of God was so amazing that they laughed. Isaac means, it just means laughter. God wants to bless you to such a degree in which you laugh at how crazy it is. That's his will for your life. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. There have been times where God's blessed me to such a degree, I just sat there and I I laugh, and then I cry, and then I laugh some more. And then people think I'm schizophrenic because I'm just like, oh, my gosh. I just (laughs) Because God wants to bless you. And, you know, I just said that if any of you ever struggle with that, you can find healing here in this place. Has Isaac, raises Isaac up. You know, he spends time with his son every day. I want you to get emotionally what this would be like. This is like you and your parents or maybe a mentor, someone who's been so dear to your life, and they're just sowing into your life every day. And I'm sure every day that Isaac woke up, he was like, what's going on, promise? You know, all the nations are going to be blessed through you. I'm sure he spoke that destiny over his son every day. You're the promised child. You're the one whom my life, everything is geared towards you. But one day, Abraham was also a man of worship, right? And so one day, God comes in and he says, listen, I want you to climb that mountain. And I want you to sacrifice your son. I want you to put your son on the altar. Why? Because God would not let Abraham hold that which he would not let go. And so he brings, he's got Abraham and he's walking and Abraham's asking questions as all of us would. Right? And he's like, where is, where's the sacrifice, pops? I don't see no sacrifice. Where's it at? And he's like, son, the Lord will provide it. The sacrifice, the Lord will provide provide and he's walking them up and abraham has to make the altar with his own hands he makes the very table in which he's planning on sacrificing his son you imagine the angst in his heart and he's making it and isaac's still probably asking questions all right so yeah that's a nice altar that john's empty where where's the sacrifice you want me to go get one i can go get one okay you know what i'm gonna go get one no no isaac come back here lay down he lays down and right and and 
I guess Isaac's trusting him. The Bible doesn't say that Isaac was screaming and wrestling and trying to put his father in a headlock. So I guess Isaac trusted the father. So Abraham lays him down. And right as he's lifting up, God speaks to him and says, Abraham, Abraham, wait. Calls him by name. And over on the side is a ram caught in thorns. It's a lamb that has grown up, a male lamb that has grown up and now is caught in thorns. And he says, take that lamb and put that on the altar for yourself. And that will be the sacrifice. And Abraham looks and he says, Jehovah Jireh. That's his literal words, Jehovah Ireh, the Lord who provides. And we know that that is not just a picture of one event, but that was a foreshadowing. That was a foreshadowing because God knew that materialism and the things of this world would be too great for us to try and hold on our own. He knew that those things would have such a hold over our hearts and over our lives that we could not break it ourselves. And so what he did was he sent his own son The lamb who grew up and when he grew up to the right age, he sent him to the cross to be sacrificed on our behalf. So that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And he's not just talking about a life that later on where you get through gates, but he's talking about a life right now. And the best example and where you can put your trust in God providing for your life is not in a 10-step process. It's not in a self-help book. It's in Jesus. It says that God, he did not spare his own son. He let Abraham spare his son because he said, Abraham, I'm going, I'm not going to spare my son for all of humanity. To save our idolatry. To save us from wrath. And Romans, it says, he who did not spare his own son, how will he not graciously give unto us all things? So God says, give it up. Give up the love of the things of this world because it cannot save you. I've already paid for it. And every time we turn to the things of this world, we're forgetting that he's already provided all our needs. He said, God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, the issue for all of us in this room, whether you're a Christian or not, is the gospel. What breaks the back of materialism It's the gospel. It's trusting God. It's letting go of the things of this world and recognizing he's paid for it all. I want us to pray. Actually, Lydia, I want Mark to I want Mark to come up.
See, the issue is worship. It says that the wrath of God is headed towards those who worship created things rather than creator God. And the Bible actually says that the love of money, it doesn't say that money is, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And all the evil that we see in the world, it's coming from, a lot of it's coming from this materialism. Worshiping the things of this world and looking to the things of this world to save us. And some of you are thinking it's foolishness to just trust in Jesus. But God chose the foolish things to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? So that no one can boast before God. So that no one could say, see God, it was my own work. See, God, it was my own good deeds. All these things, God, I've kept since my youth. No, Jesus looked at that man. He looked at that rich young ruler. He had everything, but he had nothing. And he said, he loved him. He loved him. And he said, you know what? Give it all up and come and follow me. There are some of you in this room that you've never... You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know what it's like to be in relationship with this man who who paid for it all, who paid for your sin, who paid for. And when I say sin, that means that we where we have fallen short. That tendency inside of us, it's both action and direction. It's the fact that we lie, we cheat, we steal, and we covet, and we want, we worship the things of this earth rather than God. And it's also a direction, meaning that everything in your life is geared towards that way. And you tried your, you've read your books, you've tried your step process, but it doesn't work. Even the commandments, that 10-step process didn't work. That's why God sent his son to fulfill it. And you feel right now there's a stirring in your heart. You know what? I want that. I want that. God, I've lived in the world and I realize it doesn't satisfy. I realize I'm still just as anxious as I was before. I'm still worrying about things just like I was before. And everything around me seems to still be crashing down. And God wants to bring you peace today. Some of you also, you've been far from God. You, you, you grew up in the house of the Lord. You may, maybe have even prayed the prayer, but you've been living in bondage to the things of this world. And Jesus is just saying, hey, come home. Leave it all and come home. I'll take care of it. All that you need, my hands have provided. I'm faithful. And he's wanting to, he's wanting to invite you back home. And if that's you, what I want you to do, I just want you to raise up your right hand. Just raise up your right hand. If you, if you are, you're not a Christian, but you're realizing, you know what? I want this relationship. I want this relationship. I just want to take that first step. Just raise up your right hand. If you've been far from God and, 
and you've been just worshiping the things of this world, and, but you're hearing his voice saying, you know what, it's time, come home. Just raise up your right hand. There's something that happens when you just do a simple physical act of faith. Just right now, all across this room, just raise your hand. Everyone close your eyes. So just raise up your right hand right now. It's between you and God. I see you in the side. I see you in the back. I see you two in the back. You can put down your hands. And I want all of us right now to pray. And you, if, you, if you raise your hand, I want you to pray this prayer, and I want you to, to pray it from your heart. But we're all going to pray it with you, so that you, because we're all in this together. And maybe some of you didn't raise your hand, but you're feeling that stirring anyways. I want to invite you to come up after. Come up and talk to one of the pastors. Just let us pray with you. We want to bring you along in that journey. But all of us right now, I want us in this room to all pray together and just repeat after me. Just say, Jesus, I confess that you are the fulfillment of my life. You fulfill every need. And God, I repent. I repent for worshiping the things of this world. I repent for my sin. And I ask Jesus right now that you would come into my heart. Forgive me for my sin. And cleanse me from my unrighteousness. Holy Spirit, make me new. And give me that that abundant life. Father, I pray for every person in this room right now. And God, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I take authority over every spirit of the world, God. I take authority, God, over every spirit of materialism, every spirit of idolatry, God, that has existed in the lives of your people, God. And I take authority over it right now, God, and I break it off, God, in the name of Jesus. And God, I speak, God, that minds are being renewed right now, God. That, Lord, no longer will we, God, be conformed to the pattern of this world. But we will be transformed by the renewal of our mind. Jesus, we confess that you are the perfect provision. We confess that you meet all our needs. We confess, God, that you are the one we look to, God. Yes, Lord, for God, you lead us, you guide us, you never forsake us, and you bless us, God. And we look to you, oh God. I feel there's one more thing. I feel that that for many of you in this room, it's a time of surrender. Without even realizing, you realize, without even knowing it, as the word was being preached, you were realizing that you've been worshiping the things of this world. And see, the, the issue is not the stuff. The issue is your worship. You can't steward something you worship. You're mastered over it. It becomes your master. And I just feel that God wants right now a fresh surrender. 
a fresh surrender. And I feel that in this place, God is going to begin to move by his Holy Spirit. And he's going to break off a lot of the lukewarmness that's been in your heart. Many of you, you come in and you felt so lukewarm in your walk. You felt so lukewarm as you read the Bible, as you pray, as you spend time in the house of God. You just feel, eh. But God's wanting to set you on fire. He's wanting to reignite fresh love in your heart again. But you got you to gotta put something on that altar. It's the things of this world. So all across this room, I want us all to just pray together. And I want us all to begin to pray and pray for a fresh surrender in our hearts. And Lord, that we let go of the things of this world. Many of you are in insane amounts of debt because of the love you have for the things of this world. Your lifestyles have been putting you in slavery. But God's he's wanting to break that off. So you got to let it go. So right now, I want us all to just begin to pray. Just pray and, and just begin to lay down our lives in fresh surrender, fresh worship to who he is. Let's pray.